having a song. I love that. I will not boast in anything. (laughs) No works, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. It's awesome. Praise the Lord for the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. I want to mention before we get started here, you can take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 5. I I, I mentioned some people to keep in prayer, but I failed to mention, continue to keep Gail McDonald in prayer. I mentioned it on Wednesday. Um, She is home. She was in the hospital, but she's home and she seems to be doing well, uh, better now. So praise the Lord for that. But just keep her in prayer. And she had a seizure and it wasn't looking good, but thank the Lord she's doing better now. So 1 John chapter 5 in your Bibles. And the major theme of the last few verses and the verses to come is that of bearing witness. Now remember... Bearing witness, it simply comes from a a Greek word that means to prove. So, like we saw last week, John expressed to the people that he was writing to in this epistle that he could prove that Jesus Christ was really God by water, by blood, and by the Holy Spirit. And the water alluded to the baptism of Jesus Christ as God put his stamp of approval on his ministry at his baptism. The blood spoke of the death of Jesus Christ as His blood cleanses us from all sin and praise God for that. But it also speaks of the water and blood that John saw come out of Jesus Christ as that Roman soldier pierced his side and then the Holy Spirit, it proves and it testifies of the deity of Christ which simply means that Christ is God. And we know from last week that today we are, as His children, we are His vessels. And we too prove Him to be God. We looked at how the greatest proof that Jesus Christ is who He said He is today is the life and actions of His followers. But we also saw that the greatest hindrance often to the work of Christ is somebody that claims to love Christ, yet they deny Him in their works. They don't act like a follower of Christ. That does damage to the name of Christ. And that it's a terrible thing, and this is why... We must live our lives filled and guided and led by the Holy Spirit so that we can walk as He walked. Now today, we're going to see how John writes to these believers with great certainty. He writes to these believers with great assurance. And listen, if we know anything about our day today, we know that very few things are certain in life. There's a lot of uncertainty in our world today. Many people... Even Christians, maybe, they, they, they wonder many things and, and they just face uncertainty. And there's just this unsettled feeling that people have. And, and, they, and they wonder and they ask questions. Questions like, how much more is the stock market going to crash? How much higher are gas prices going to go? How many more shortages are there going to be? How much longer can I hold on financially Uh, And also, maybe other things, just corrupted things, such as how many more genders are they going to invent? Uncertainty. Uh, How much more wicked can this country get? How much more wicked can the world get? There's just, we don't know. There's a lot of things that we're not certain about. And listen, every day when it comes to the physical and the political and the economic world, there are many uncertainties. But John writes this passage with great certainty pertaining to things that are involved with the spiritual realm. We don't like uncertainty when it comes to larger issues, like 
security of life or what is to come in the future. Uh, we may like an element of surprise in small matters, but not ones that are going to impact us forever. I, I read recently about a story from the 1990s, Northwest Airline. They, uh, maybe some of you remember this, they apparently offered some unusual round-trip passages aboard one of their planes. For $59, you could get a mystery fare ticket that provided a one-day trip to an unknown American city. Now, what happened was they, they bought this, and they didn't know where they were going to go until they arrived at the airport that day. But despite that, uh, in one place in particular, Indianapolis, over 1,500 people crowded the airline counter to get one of these mystery fare tickets, and it was sold on a first-come, first-served basis. Now, obviously, some people didn't like where they were going to end up, but, you know, mystery fare tickets like that, it may be... It may be nice to do for a fun weekend surprise or a, a, a one-day vacation, but one time that you never want to have a mystery fare ticket is on the day of your death. Never. You don't want to face eternity uncertain about where you are going to go. And I know, I have no doubt in my mind this morning that there are some people, if they were honest with themselves, they would say, I don't know where I'm going when I die. I'm uncertain about it. But John writes to these believers, and he writes to these people with great certainty, with the truth that they don't have to wonder about where they're going to go. It's not a mystery. Because of this, we know that our eternal destination, it's not a mystery. It's not left up in the air. It's not up for a debate. It's not uncertain. It's not a guessing game. It's not a 50-50 shot. It's not like, okay, I'm just going to die one day and then hope for the best. No, that's not how it is. That's not how it is. It can be known. You can be sure. And I tell you what, it is wonderful to know when it comes to eternal life, we don't have to guess. Benjamin Franklin once wrote, nothing is certain but death and taxes famous quote. We know that's true. However, there are many spiritual certainties. And John says that we are able to say with certainty, I know I have eternal life. Do you, do you know there's a lot of people that don't know that? If you go door to door with us, you know. You ask some people that question. Do you know where you're going to go one day when you die? They say, I don't know. I can't know. Yes, you can know. You can know that you have eternal life. I want to ask you this question this morning. Can you agree with me today and say that you know that you have eternal life? I know I have eternal life. Can you? Can you say that wholeheartedly? The verses that we're going to look at this morning, they answer three important questions in regards to eternal life. And John writes these passages with great confidence to help us know that we can truly be confident in what he says, and the reason that we can be confident in what he says is because these words were inspired and written by God himself. Let's read 1 John chapter 5, verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath a witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, 
that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you have given us your word, and I praise you that we can know that we have eternal life. God, if there's somebody here this morning that's uncertain, I pray that today will be the day of salvation. I pray that today they will stop putting it off and, and stop wondering and stop questioning and they'll just get it right and they will just trust you as their Savior and trust you only. Lord, I pray that you'll speak to our hearts as only you can. In your holy name, amen. In verse 10 of 1 John chapter 5, he once again mentions this witness of God. Again, the water, the blood, the Holy Spirit, they all testify that Christ was God. And all of these witnesses, they go directly back to God himself. And John explains that anybody that does not believe that Christ is God has made God out to be a liar because of the fact that God has testified that it is true. And if we know anything about God, we know he cannot lie. Paul makes the same connection of the fact that God cannot lie and also the true assurance that we have in regards to eternal life in Titus chapter 1 verse 2 when he said, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So here's the thing. If God cannot lie, but somebody rejects what God says about Christ and their sin and its penalty, then that person is calling God a liar. Hey, listen, I don't want to call God a liar. He's not a liar. Every single lost person that rejects Christ as the payment for their sin, therefore, is calling God a liar. That's serious business. That's a serious thing. So what does God have to say about eternal life? So look, because God, he cannot lie, whatever he says about eternal life is true. So what does he say? What does he say about eternal life? What do we know about eternal life thanks to the witness of God? The message this morning is titled, Certainties of Eternal Life. And John, as he gives us this assurance, we're going to look at these verses, and again, we're going to find answers to three questions. We're going to uh, look at three questions. First, we're going to see, what is eternal life? Secondly, we're going to see, how do I gain eternal life? And lastly, we're going to see, how can I be assured that I have eternal life? He answers all these questions. So let's begin by answering this first question, what is Eternal life. Look at verse 11. What is eternal life? It says, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. The words eternal life in our text comes from a Greek phrase that simply means this. Catch this. Real, genuine, blessed life without end, never to cease. That's awesome. Understand this morning, the world, they live their life of self-pleasure. They live of self-promotion, self-focus. They look to gain, gain, gain. And listen, none of them have ever truly lived, and they never will until they receive eternal life. No lost soul has ever experienced real and genuine and blessed life. They may think that they are, as they have all their fancy toys and they uh, live for themselves and they are having a good time and they're partying and they may think, man, I'm experiencing life. Listen, they've not experienced real and blessed life as they live in their sin. They haven't experienced real life 
as they uh, live to get rich and have many possessions and try to gain popularity and fame. It's all vanity because there is no genuine life apart from Jesus Christ. Now the wonderful thing about this is that this temporary world and the life that we have on it does not even compare in the slightest to what we have in eternal life as believers. So as we look at this question, okay, what is eternal life? The Bible makes it very clear what it entails. I want to warn you now, buckle up, because we have a lot of places to turn. So get your Bible out. You should have your Bible ready. First, eternal life means life forever with God in heaven. Let's go to John chapter 3. What is eternal life? Eternal life is life forever with God in heaven. Look at verse 15 of John chapter 3. Context of this, we know that Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus about being born again. And look at verse 15 of John chapter 3. The Bible says that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Hey, listen. We all are going to die one day unless the rapture takes place. But if we have eternal life, that is the only death that we're going to experience. And when we experience that death, true life has just begun. Eternal life means life with Christ forever. For the believer, we know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now this goes hand in hand with the second truth of eternal life. And that is the fact that eternal life means that I will not suffer damnation in hell. Go to Revelation 21. Revelation 21. Revelation 21, look at verse 8. This is a verse I quote often, but look at Revelation 21, verse 8. It says, But the fearful, and unbelieving, and the abominable, and murderers, and warmongers, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars shall have their parts in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Notice that word, death. Eternal life means never experiencing that second death. It means never experiencing hell. Eternal life gives me life forever in heaven, which means I will not suffer in hell. So eternal life means I will not suffer that. Praise the Lord. But thirdly, eternal life means I am no longer dead in trespasses and sin. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, look at verse 1. I want you to notice the wording here. I'll put an emphasis on some of these words. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein... 
Times past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God, who is rich in mercy. For his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Hey, listen, that word quickened means made alive. So you were, if you have this eternal life, you have been made alive. You have been given eternal life. But understand, while this eternal life, it does involve what is to come. It does involve the future eternal life is what we possess even now. Listen, you can possess eternal life even now. Uh, there's not just the benefit of having eternal life in the future. It's a benefit right now. Just consider this. It's not just something to look forward to. It's a reality that we live in in this very moment. If you have eternal life, it's a reality that you're living out right now. Because of eternal life, I can have the fullness of joy now. Because of eternal life, I can give myself to others and I can give myself to the Lord now. Because of eternal life, I can take my focus off the temporal and I can focus on that which will last now. Because of eternal life, I can have victory over sin now. You, you get that? You can have victory now. That's the power of eternal life in our present day. So this is eternal life. Secondly, going back to our text, 1 John chapter 5. Secondly, we see, how do I gain eternal life? And you may be here this morning and you say, I've heard how to gain eternal life so many times. Well, you know what? There's a lot of confusion about how to gain eternal life. So I think it's worth repeating. Because again, it, it, it has to do with our eternal destination. It impacts us forever. How do I gain eternal life? Look at verse 12. It says... He that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's pretty simple. The Bible presents a clear path to eternal life. Now, this eternal life, it is salvation. If you, if you are saved, you have eternal life. If you are in Christ, you have eternal life. And again, there's a lot of confusion about how what it means to be saved. There's a lot of confusion about what it means to become a Christian. There's a lot of confusion about how to obtain eternal life, and unfortunately this confusion has deceived a lot of people. And there's a lot of people that don't have a clue what the gospel is. The average person, if I was to go up to the average person that's sitting in churches in America today, and I would ask them the question, how do you obtain eternal life? How, what is the gospel? They wouldn't be able to tell me. They wouldn't be able to tell me. But the Bible is very clear about it. In order to gain eternal life, we need to understand that God is completely holy. Did you know that God's completely holy? He is perfect. And listen to this. This is very, very needed, a very needed statement in our day. Because God is perfect, He cannot approve of sin or evil. So guess what, Christian? You shouldn't either. But let me just say that. Look. God is perfect. He cannot approve of sin or evil. James chapter 1 verse 13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God is holy. 
We know from Peter, he said, be holy for I am holy. We also need to understand that really what we are as humans, okay? So, so remember, God is perfect. He is holy. Well, what are we as humans? We're sinful. According to the word of God, everybody is guilty of sin. As you sit here this morning, you are guilty of sin. Now, we are able to do good things at times. We are able to be kind, but we're still guilty of sin. We are unable to love and please God on our own because of our sinful state. As Romans 3, verse 10 to 12 says this, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are all together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. God is holy. Man is sinful. And because of our sin, our sin demands a penalty. God is holy, and right along with His holiness, He is just. You understand, because God is just, He must punish sin. All sin must be punished by death. As Romans 3.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. You know, changing our behavior, trying to become a better person, trying to sin less, none of that is going to eliminate the problem of sin or the consequences of it. None of it. It's not going to change anything. And this is a serious problem. So again, remember, God's holy. Man is sinful. We're in trouble. That's where Jesus Christ comes in. As Romans 10 verse 9 says, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. God's justice demands death for sin. And just as that song talked about, in his love he provided a savior that paid the penalty and died for sinners like you and I. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Hey, listen, the death of Jesus Christ satisfied the demands of God's justice. His perfect life satisfied the demands of His holiness. And because of this, we are able to be forgiven. We are able to be saved if we place our faith and trust in Christ. Romans 3.26 says, To declare, I say, at this time His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. Faith alone in the finished work of Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross, on the cross is the only true path to eternal life. For by grace are ye saved, through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's as clear as day. It's only by Jesus Christ. How do I gain eternal life? Jesus Christ. It does not come by trusting in any work. It doesn't come by trusting any person or any ability. Nothing but Jesus Christ. Now there's, again, I said earlier, there's a lot of people that are deceived about this. They, they think that there's other ways to salvation. And I want to mention this as well. You know, Mary herself, she can't give you eternal life either. You know, in Luke chapter 1, she said to Christ, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. She needed a Savior too, because she was just a person. She was sinful. 
Let's go to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. Look at John chapter 3, verse 35. John chapter 3, verse 35. There's so many verses about eternal life. We could be here all day. But the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 35, The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hands. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So listen, the wrath of God was placed on Jesus Christ for your sins, but if you reject it and you call God a liar, guess what? The wrath of God's coming on you. You're not going to have eternal life. It's only found in Christ. He's the only way to eternal life. And this gift of life is an incredible gift. And it's so amazing that Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 9, referred to it as the unspeakable gift. Hey, have you believed and received this unspeakable gift? This gift of eternal life that's been given to us by God is, there, there's no greater gift that we could ever have. There's no greater thing that we could ever possess because it brings us eternal life. There's no other gift that has any greater value than the gift of Jesus Christ. It's the gift that keeps on giving because it lasts forever. So have you received this gift? Go to over a few pages to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Look at John chapter 11, look at verse 25. This is a time where Martha and Jesus were having a conversation. It's mixed in there with Lazarus and his death and resurrection. But look at verse 25. To Martha, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this. And she said unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. And listen, in this passage, Martha and Jesus, they shift the focus of the temporary life as Lazarus was just resurrected, and they, they shift the focus from temporary life to eternal life that we have available in him. And he specifically told Martha, Hey, I am the life, and all that believe on me have this life. And that's because Jesus Christ is the eternal life. And as he asked Martha this question, Believest thou this? I asked you this morning, Believest thou this? Do you believe this? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is eternal life? Can you genuinely say that today you know that you have this gift of eternal life? Have you trusted only in him for this? Have you repented of your sin and agreed with God about your sinful state? Jesus gives us eternal life. He's called the water of life. John chapter 4 verse 14 says, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He's also called the bread of life. In John chapter 6 verse 48 he said, I am that bread of life. He also says that he is the life and the light of men. And John testified of this in John chapter 1 verse 4. As he said in him was life and the life was the light of men. You remember in John chapter 6. 
when a bunch of Jesus' disciples left him because they couldn't do it anymore. It was too hard, which by the way, Christianity is not easy. It's hard. Being a genuine follower of Christ is hard. You remember when Jesus looked to his disciples and he said, are you also going to leave me? What did Peter say? He looked at them and he said, where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. Hey, let me ask you this. If you decide to forsake Christ, where else are you going to go? He has eternal life. It is only by faith in Christ that we obtain eternal life. Now, I do want to mention, while faith is what saves, true faith in the finished work of Christ's death, it will be accompanied by repentance from our sin. When we repent of our sin, that simply means that we are agreeing with God that we are sinful. We are agreeing that we are not worthy of anything good. We are confessing our sins to Him and we're making a conscious effort to turn from our sin and to pursue Christ. That is the gospel. And this may not be popular, but if you read the Bible, you know it's true. If the gospel does not change you, it has not saved you. It's true. At salvation, we become new Creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Does that mean that we're going to be sinless? Of course not. But God's going to give you a new mind. God's going to give you new desires. God's going to give you the Holy Spirit that helps us. And this brings us to that final question, which concerns assurance of salvation. Go back to your, the text here in 1 John chapter 5. The last question that John answers here in this portion of scripture is this how am I assured of eternal life how am I assured of eternal life look at verse 13 it says these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the son of God now in this point we're going to be going to a lot of places in first John because John said this, he said that he has written these things. And when he says these things, he's referring to the contents of this book. And he says that he writes these things so that they can know that they have eternal life. And from this we know that the purpose of John writing this book was twofold. For one, he wanted to bring these unbelievers, any unbelievers that were reading this, to the faith. But also he wanted to give true believers a confidence that they do, in fact, e obtain eternal life. Again, I I've said this so many times, but this book is a book of tests. You'll notice in a lot of places that we're going to look at, he says, if, 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 if you do this, if you do that, you know that you have eternal life. You know that you're in the faith. You know that you are of God. You know that you are a child of his. So what are these things that John writes that have given these believers Back then and, and today, the assurance of eternal life, again, they're tests that help us know if they're in the faith or not. They're tests that help us know if we're in the faith or not. So from these passages, we are going to see seven ways that we have assurance of eternal life. And these assurances, if you're saved today, listen, it will help keep you encouraged. It will uh, help keep you in the love of God. It will help keep you in His grace. And it will also erase any doubt from Satan. But if you are here today, and you have not trusted Christ, then you don't have any reason to be assured. And I don't want to give that to you if you don't have it. 
And you might be here today and you may wonder, well, am I saved? Well, here's the thing. I can't answer that for you. That's not my place. Only you and God know if you're saved. Only you and God know if you are in the faith. So as we review these assurances, you will know if you are in the faith or not based on whether or not you have these assurances. So what are the assurances that help us know that we obtain eternal life or not? Go back to 1 John chapter 1. It's just, just a quick review of these tests. As John says, I have written these things that you may know. What are these things? What are these tests? First test, or I guess, yeah, we can just call them tests. The first test is simply this, that we walk in the light. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. It says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, notice that word, if. That's going to come up a lot. Look, walking in darkness is the opposite of following Christ. All unsaved people are walking in darkness. But those that are saved have been delivered into the light. Paul said in Ephesians 5.8, For ye were sometimes in darkness, but now ye are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. So listen, if you are walking in darkness and, and you've not turned from it, and, and you're not walking in the light, tell me this, how can you be saved? How can you be a Christian? If you have agreed with God about your sinful state and about your condition, about your need for Christ and the fact that you need to turn to Him, how can you be saved if you're not doing that? To walk in the light means to live in truth. So all believers are, are walking in the light, and this describes a positional and practical reality for all believers. If we're trusting in Christ, we're walking in the light. To walk in the light is to live accordingly. To walk in the light is to walk as He walked. If we're walking in the light, guess what? We desire and we love the truth. Where is the truth? Right here. If we walk in the light, we love His Word. We want to obey His Word. We trust His Word. Again, of course, we're going to sin. But if we're walking in the light, we're not going to be able to live happily in our sin. We're not going to uh, be okay with living in sin and just have perpetual and unconfessed sin in our life and just not even care about it. And that brings us to the second assurance that John has written about that helps us know that we have eternal life. Secondly, we confess sin. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and this, His word is not in us. Now, again... If you're saved, you're going to confess sin. That word confess means to say the same thing. Again, it also means agreeing with God about your sin. So this is something that Christians are supposed to do. We agree with God about our sin. And this means that we hate sin because God hates it. We don't love it. If we're living in sin, we're miserable in it because we know what we're doing is wrong and we hate what we're doing. We acknowledge that we're sinful uh, we know we're forgiven, but this is something that must happen to receive salvation. We agree with God about our sin, and it does not just end when we receive Christ. 
It continues. And this is a true test of sonship for each of us. So listen, if we are okay with living in sin and it does not bother us or grieve us to sin, if our mind has not been changed about our sin, we are not in Christ. We're not. This is a test of sonship. However, if I'm saved, I will see my sin for what it is. What is it? It's terrible. If I'm saved, I'm going to agree with God and I'm going to hate sin. Just as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 97.10, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. It's clear. Our hatred for sin and our agreement with God about our sin is an assurance of our sonship. So we'll confess our sin. Thirdly, the third assurance is we keep His commandments. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. It says, And hereby we do know that we know Him. Notice that word once again. If we keep His commandments. He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. Hey, listen, this message I'm preaching, this would make some people mad, but did you read what that just said? A liar. The truth's not in him. Let's read it again. And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I think that's very clear. Clear as day. If we know God, we will desire to keep his commandments. Again, I say, not sinless perfection. We already read the verse. He that says that he has no sin, he's a liar. He's deceiving himself. But this is proof that I have the new man. This is proof that old things are passed away and all things are become new. The fact that I have new desires and I have a new life, I have a new path. So those who claim to know God, yet they despise his commandments, they're liars. Listen, if you hate God's commandments... You're not saved. Because true believers desire to obey Christ and keep His commandments. And this assures us that we are His children. Fourth, the fourth assurance, we love the brethren. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. He that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hateth his brother is in darkness, and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whither he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his eyes. Hey, some of you may be thinking, man, I thought John was the apostle of love. (laughs) He is. But love speaks the truth. John is speaking the truth. If we're truly in Christ, we will love the brethren. And this is something that we've hit on over and over and over again because it really is a main theme in this book. But those that love God will love other believers. We have, as Romans says, the love of God shed abroad in our hearts. The love that we have for other believers, it assures us that we are saved. You cannot love God and hate your brother. It's impossible. So we love the brethren. The fifth assurance, we affirm that Jesus is God or we affirm his deity. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 21. The Bible says, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ. 
He is Antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father. But he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. Man, John is just, he's calling everybody a liar. <laughs> he says, hey, if you don't believe that Jesus is God, you're a liar. You're not a child of his. And he was combating false teachers that denied that Jesus Christ is fully God and fully man. Again, as we've talked about so often, these Gnostic believers, he's saying that nobody that is truly saved can fall into Christ-denying doctrine. Hey, listen, if you're a new creature in Christ, you stay a new creature in Christ. If you believe in Christ, that He is God, then you are saved. Nobody that's truly saved can fall into Christ-denying doctrine. Why? Because if you deny that Christ is God, then you were never saved to begin with. And if Christ was not God, then we know we have no salvation whatsoever. The truth of Christ is everything. Hey, listen, the deity of Christ is everything. If somebody denies the deity of Christ, they're not saved. They do not have eternal life. So if you believe on him, as we looked on earlier, then this assures you of your salvation. The next assurance, we desire to be holy. Look at 1 John chapter 2. Look at a couple of places here. <clears throat> we desire to be holy. Look at 1 John chapter 2 verse 29. It says, If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. Look at chapter 3 verse 3 and 4. And every man that hath this hope in him, purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin, transgresseth the, also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. This is really a disregard for God's law. The, the Greek word here for lawlessness, uh, it just simply means without law. It describes somebody who is living an unrighteous life as a normal practice. Again, if you can live in sin and it's a normal practice, and it does not bother you, that is a problem. That's problematic. Uh, people that hate God's law, and they, they hate righteousness, uh, they do not want anything to do with God's law. They cannot be a Christian. Our new nature gives us a desire to live holy. Again, as I said earlier, be holy as I am holy. Now look up here, the seventh assurance. And this is all this is all wrapped together. This puts a bow on it, okay? Number seven. The seventh assurance. And it goes hand in hand with all six of these, the other six. We have the Holy Spirit. Look at first John again, chapter four, verse thirteen. First John chapter four, verse thirteen. Look at what it says. It says, Hereby no. We, that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us of his spirit. So listen, all of the assurances that we've gone through up to this point are made possible and they are impacted by the Holy Spirit. You understand that I desire to keep the commandments of God. Why? Because of his Holy Spirit. You understand that I love the brethren and I am capable of doing so because of the Holy Spirit. I desire to be holy and I look to keep his commandments because of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8.
Romans chapter 8 and look at verse 16. Let's look at verse 14. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Hey, look, the Holy Spirit gives us assurance that we are His children. The Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And if you have this assurance, you don't need to wonder. You have great assurance. Now, now much of the time, much of what we've seen in these assurances, again, they go directly back to the fruit of the Spirit. And this is proof that He resides in us. But again, if you have not trusted in Christ only for salvation and you don't have these assurances, then you should not be content. You should not leave this place okay. You should be concerned because your eternity is at stake. So as John gives these great assurances of eternal life from the truth of scriptures, we can be assured that if we have not trusted only in Christ, we have not experienced this true and blessed and genuine life that lasts forever. And if you are here today and you have not done that, I invite you to partake of this eternal life. You can know. You can know. If you don't have this assurance, I urge you, after the service, come speak to me or somebody else about it so that you can know that you have eternal life and you can be saved. Thank God it's not up for questioning. It's not up for debate. Thank God we can know. But if you're here today and you are saved, I invite you to do as John also wrote in Revelation 22:17 when he said this, Let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst Come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Hey, listen, he is the eternal life. He is there for all of his children that spiritually thirst. Drink of the water of life freely. Just as Jesus Christ told the woman at the well, he said, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting Life. Hey, listen, there are Christians, probably all of us at times, we look to get satisfaction from something else besides Christ. But the problem with that is, nothing that the world has to offer will ever satisfy. Nothing that the world has to offer gives us genuine and real life. This eternal life that we have, it impacts our everyday life, even now, it satisfies our souls spiritually. It gives us gratification. It gives us strength. It gives us hope that we need every single day. So, hey, drink it freely. Come to the life. Come to the water of life. Where do we get this? Right here. We get it from the bread of life. We get it from the word of life. We get it from this book. We get it from allowing Christ to spiritually satisfy us. We've seen what eternal life is. It's a reality, again, that we can live out even now and for the rest of eternity. Look, I can have the fullness of joy because I have eternal life. I don't have to walk around this world and roam this world sad or discouraged or confused because I can know that I have eternal life. And because I know, guess what? I can tell others. 
Because I know I can praise His holy name. Because I know I can do what our theme for the year is, I can declare His glory. Because I know I can boldly live out my faith. Hey, listen, why are we scared of the world? Why are we scared about what people are going to think? You know, that, that, that's a normal tendency for Christians to be ashamed and for Christians to be fearful. But God has not given us a spirit of fear. Any fear that we have about being bold about, with our faith does not come from God. It comes from Satan. Hey, listen, because I know that I have eternal life, I can be bold with my faith. I can hand out gospel tracts. I can witness to my coworkers. I can witness to my friends. I can tell people, hey, let me show you how you can know that you have eternal life. Let me tell you about God and His holiness. Let me tell you about man and their sinfulness. Let me tell you about Christ, the Christ that saves. I can boldly live out my faith. So we've seen what eternal life is. It's a reality that we live out now and for the rest of eternity. But we've also seen how to gain eternal life. We gain it by only trusting in Christ for salvation. And I know that it's a popular belief nowadays that all roads lead to God, but they do not. Only the road to Jesus Christ leads to God. The straight and narrow way. There's no work, no other road, there, there's no uh, other thing that we can do to obtain eternal life. It's only through Christ. I want to ask you this morning, who's Jesus to you? What is He to you? For me and all others that is trusted in Him, He is the life. We've also seen how to be assured of eternal life. We are assured by the Holy Spirit that has been given to us as He has changed our life. His Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are His child. So if you have this assurance, rejoice. Live out your faith. Have the fullness of joy. But again, I say, if you do not have this eternal life today, if you have not partaken of this, I invite you to receive it. He gives it freely. As Jesus Christ so often invited many to receive this eternal life, He's inviting you to receive it this morning as well. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.